excited to be sharing part two on the message uh, series you saw the title of on the screen, uh, and that is Life by Design. It is Pentecost Sunday today, for those of you who track with the Christian calendar, and my prayer is that you will, uh, without uh, overusing the term, genuinely feel the warmth of the fire of God and genuinely be on fire for God in your life. And to bear in mind that fire also has this wonderful uh, uh, ability to purge, purify, and reveal the quality of something, right? And there's something really significant about that. Um, I wish that this was my genuine, uh, authentic, and forever voice, but it actually is the result of a few days of laryngitis. I would, however, like to keep this voice. So if you could pray for healing but also for manly voice same time, that would be very nice. I'd like to thank Michael Collier for giving me this ability. I'm sure he had a few days and I picked it up. Um, but I'm excited to uh, share with you uh, today a message I've specifically titled The Power of Certainty. The Power of Certainty. Do you know that a lot of people will never lose their faith but they can lose their confidence. And there is a huge difference between having faith, but also having confidence in your faith. Confidence is an interesting thing. I've seen many people who should be much more confident in life and aren't. I've also seen some people. You know what I mean? They might be more confident than maybe their skill set. They just have a confidence in things. Sometimes that confidence is misplaced and it results in excellent TikTok fails. Uh, I particularly smiled at one young man watching on TikTok the other day. If you guys don't know what TikTok is, um, the evening service do. But the, so, <laughs> it's an age thing, right? So he's so excited about his kicking skills. He could kick anything at any time, standing anywhere. So he decided to prove his ability in great confidence, stood over the edge of a bridge and took his cell phone and threw it onto his foot and danced with it like that. And in that very last, he flicked it and it doubled and it landed. Aren't you impressed I can stand on one foot? It's not bad, eh? For 40. And, and he did it and he caught it and he thought, one more. And he did it and... Now, why don't we say that that's misplaced confidence? That's confidence in the wrong thing. But there is a kind of confidence that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit that is so demonstrated in Acts chapter 2, uh, not only there, but again, continuously throughout Scripture, because I so love how Peter, the man so pivotal in the story, is transformed by the Holy Spirit. Peter, uh, for those of you who know his uh, detail, Peter was an, a passionate, confident perhaps overly confident guy. So confident that he was gonna go with Jesus on the cross and then go with Jesus to heaven and go with Jesus here and with Jesus there. Lord, whatever you do, I can do. So full of enthusiasm. He chopped off people's ears. That guy, very confident. When I was in Jeffrey's Bay preaching the other day, the Lord gave me such a great word uh, for the church there. And it's, I'm still eating off that meal. I loved it so much. It was about how Peter stood at a fire trying to warm himself 
the day Jesus was being crucified. And a servant woman said to him, aren't you a follower? And the same confident Peter became an insecure little boy and said, I don't know what you're talking about. And the Bible says, and he stood there trying to warm himself. And the message was how that you can grow cold by standing at the wrong fire, answering questions the wrong way. I'm not surprised Jesus used a chicken to describe him. It was like heaven saying after three times, you chicken. (laughs) But that guy in Acts chapter two, preaches the gospel so confidently that 3,000 people got saved. That means more than that were at the meeting. And the little boy of insecurity became God's mighty man of authority. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to achieve that because you can't accessorize insecurity. You have to be set free from it. You have to be set free from it. Acts chapter four, a little later after that experience, the Holy Spirit is still busy doing incredible things. And I was taught as a young believer that the best evidence that you have the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I don't think that that is the best evidence. I just think it's one of them. Because in this chapter, one of the other evidences is boldness. In Acts chapter four, verse 31, it says, and when they had, excuse me, prayed, now you're all coughing. <laughs> uh, when they, they, they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. I think it becomes important for us to not only have a belief system in the head, but the fire of conviction in the heart for that belief system. Do you know I have a lot of information in my head that I believe Some of it I don't have enough conviction on to do anything about. For example, I know that a whole tin of condensed milk is not good for me. I have the information. I don't have conviction. Because when I have a tin of condensed milk, I feel it must be consumed at one time. The lid is not designed to be reused. Now I have a strategy though, because I think that just condensed milk with sugar, so much sugar in it is unwise. So I like to put it under my coffee machine and just drop two shots of espresso in there and mix it. Some of you are thinking if you just added a little bit of hot water, put it on a tin cup, you'd have something farmers have been doing for years. I'm just not allowed to tell you the name of that coffee in its original language, but you know what I mean. Oh, there we go. It's a rude word, coffee. It's a rude word, I want to hit you, coffee. I'm not going to say it, but that's what that coffee does to you. We've, <laughs> listen, it's getting full in here. When you finished inviting people, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna have people hanging off the rafters for Jesus. We must start to invite. Uh, uh, 
Hey, um, uh, churches in Jaiba and Karicha and, and, and Cape Town, uh, you're getting cards like this too. You'll have them next week. It's a, it says, hello, come to church with me. And a QR code that takes you to your Google Maps address of your location. So come to church next week, grab a few. Prayerfully think about who you want to invite and bring them along. Confidence. Uh, in a few passages of Scripture, Paul, the apostle, introduces that we should have confidence in the Lord before he tells them anything else. Right at the beginning, in the early part of a chapter, at the very beginning, he'll say that. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 13 uh, says this. I'm sorry, production, I'm jumping past the Scripture there. As you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to invest a little bit of heaven into you to guarantee you that you will get the rest of heaven at the appointed time. Is that proper clappable moment? You, you see, uh, that suggests that it is not heaven who's not ready to be given to me. It just simply suggests that I'm not ready to receive all of heaven. But in the meantime, the Lord by the Holy Spirit puts a bit of His presence into our hearts as a guarantee that the territory is taken. It's God's way of moving in and saying, possession is nine-tenths, well, ten-tenths of the law. I've moved in, this is my home now. It doesn't mean that we've all caught up. If we're the house and he's the inhabitant, we're a house under construction. But it doesn't matter. He's moved in, in your present condition. A lot of people won't move into a house until it's just right. I realized the other day, I have the opposite problem. I like having a house permanently, under construction. I had somebody visit the other day and said, what's going on with your floors? I said, I'm busy repairing them to paint them. I'm using a product to screed and level it off before I paint them with a specific polyurethane product. They said, but George, I visited you in December and you were busy preparing. Is it a vibe now? I said, I don't think that Mend all polyfiller on the floor is a vibe. They said, well, it's lasted long enough to have changed colour. Sort it out. Sometimes we feel that we need to be in a certain condition before God can move in and really be at work in us. But I want you to know, He's quite happy to start off under construction. If He wanted to live in a perfect palace, He would have stayed where He was. He came here to occupy you and your heart to bring you into alignment with the picture in heaven. You know, people, uh, we have been taught to pray that God's will should be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In one part of Scripture, Jesus says He does nothing except what He sees His Father do. It is as though He watches the actions of heaven and plays the same dance here on earth. He occupied our hearts to create a place for him to live in because he knows the home we're going to. So he came here to help us get the home ready in our hearts. He's mirroring here on earth what he knows we should be ready for up above. 
This idea that our confidence should be placed wisely in the presence of God is very powerful. Second Corinthians chapter one. Again, Paul reiterates, now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put, our, uh, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Once again, an assurance or a guarantee. I, I shared in a post uh, on our social media that the arrival of the Holy Spirit is the finishing of a very important story. In the Old Testament, God lived in a tabernacle. And if you wanted to meet with God, you went there. When Jesus came, God dwelt among us. And if you wanted a miracle, you'd go find Jesus. But now that the Holy Spirit has come, He lives in us. And if you want to meet with God or see the miracle worker, you need only ask Him. And Christ now dwells in us. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go to the Father. I need to finish the story, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. First God at a tabernacle, then Christ on the earth. Now you, a holy temple, a dwelling place of God by His Spirit. Philippians chapter one says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It would be sad, uh, it would be uh, uh, devoid, empty of spirit if you had faith, but not confidence. It is time to rebuild our confidence. Confidence gets taken away easily. Faith, not so much. Speaking personally, I've never found it difficult to hold on to my faith, mainly because I think it is the faith that holds on to me. My grip has weakened, slipped, become preoccupied or overcrowded. But it is the Scripture that reminds me we are placed in the palm of His hand. And it is God's grip that is unshakable, never lets go, and from whom no one can pluck you out of his hands. Confidence, on the other hand, comes and goes. I genuinely can preach on a Sunday morning feeling enthusiastic. And by Sunday night, when I get dressed for the evening service, I feel like I've gained 10 kgs during the day. I don't know why. I feel, what a, did I eat a whole turkey? today. My confidence gets knocked by all kinds of things. Sometimes somebody will say, I didn't like the message translation. Then I think better delete all the, all the verses from the message Bible. Someone will say after the service, like they did last week, do you know if this preaching thing doesn't work out, you could always become a stand-up comedian. And to be honest with you, I've missed that compliment. I feel that my critics have made me too serious. I'm not trying to be, a, create a faculty that analyzes the faith. I'm trying to create a family that follows the faith. If you want a faculty that analyzes it, join a college. But if you want to walk through life, enjoying faith, then join a community. 
But every now and then those things get to my head. My faith is not weak at all. But my confidence, my confidence needs the breath of the Holy Spirit. It's for that reason that I don't need His breath to stay saved. The blood of Jesus adequately saves me. I need the breath to keep the fire of conviction going. I need that often. I've caused lots of tension amongst some of you when I have posted or shown my gas braai or barbecue. In South Africa, that's not considered a good braai or barbecue. Must have, I say barbecue for our international guys, must have actual fire. But the other day, while I was in uh, one of our churches, I saw a gas um, cooker next to the fireplace. I thought, finally, here I find a local who's going to use gas. And do you know what they did with it? They stuck it under the wood to get the wood to burn quicker. <laughs> then, they, then, they, then they pulled it aside and they made the, the man makes meat on a proper fire. Now, let me tell you, no matter what wood you're going to burn in your heart, and by wood I mean your dreams, your passions, your, your aspirations, no matter what houses you want to build and businesses you want to establish and friends you want to lead to Jesus, let's call that the wood. No matter what sacrifice you're going to make over it, you and I are all going to need the continuous supply of the fire starter of the Holy Spirit. My faith is steadfast. It is built on Christ. My confidence is volatile. It needs the tenderness of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Bible says even a smoking flax or reed, he won't allow to be put out. Sometimes all you got is just a little bit. You just got a little bit. But you know, God needs only a little bit under the unction of the Holy Spirit to become much. The trouble with people who have much without God is that they're not sure when it is God. For many of us, we had so little to give Him that the much that came from it, we could without a doubt say, this is the hand of the Lord. Today I want to encourage you to learn out of conviction and confidence to commit your ways to the Lord. One of the products of being certain is that you can commit to something you're certain of. When I'm not certain of something, my commitment is shaky. When I am certain of something, I can be wholehearted. Committing is a big word. Peter had to commit. A couple of weeks before, Pentecost is 50 days after resurrection. A couple of weeks before, Peter couldn't commit. Are you a follower? I don't know what you're talking about. Didn't I see you? Don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure chicken... Fifty days later, with that little bit, that little mistake, but that little restoration, Peter got up and he said, men of Israel. 
let me tell you what you should do. For this man, Jesus Christ, whom you, you and you and you crucified, he has made both Lord and Savior. Commit. When you're not sure about stuff, you can't commit to it. And I want to encourage you to build a way of committing. Um, Production, I'm going to go to Psalm 37. Commit your ways to the Lord and trust Him and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn and your vindication like the noonday sun. I always thought committing something to God is passive. I thought, well, I've committed it to God, so I'm going to do nothing about it. I come to realize as you study the scripture that committing something to the Lord is actually a very active thing. It's a mistake to think that if I commit something to God like my life, I do nothing. It's a mistake to think if I commit my business to the Lord, I stay home. It'd be a mistake to say, I've committed my relationship to the Lord and then do nothing. No, commitment is the product of a confident assurance in God's ways. That means you do everything different. So perhaps we should take a moment in the couple of minutes I have. I always do this to myself. Three minutes, three points. It's an impossible race. How to commit your ways to the Lord. I will be honest, Vince said the other day, just preach until you're finished. Or or the people walk out. So he never said that. How do you commit your ways to the Lord? Well, Proverbs 16, one says this. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. When I say I commit something to the Lord, it means I'm inviting Him to weigh my motives, to check my calculations, to work out if my plans are right. Sometimes you have your own plan. Looks like a good idea. Have you ever had an idea that you thought was a good idea and it wasn't long and you realized that's a terrible idea? I keep making this same mistake so much so that yesterday I decided to hack these chili plants away. I grew Californian Reaper chilies. They are the hottest chili legally allowed and they grew well. A lot of them. I couldn't think of a use for them. They're just too hot. I thought I'll do something simple. While I'm making pasta, I'll throw a couple in there, you know, just maybe in the water, you know. It wasn't a good idea when I had the idea. It wasn't a good idea when I put it in the water. It wasn't a good idea when I ate it. And I spent the rest of the afternoon downing my laryngitis medication with my throat whispering in my ear, what is wrong with you? (laughs) Now, let me tell you, there are some ideas you've got 
They aren't a good idea when you have the idea. They're not a good idea when you executed the idea. They aren't a good idea when you did it. And the Spirit is whispering in your ear right now saying, what is wrong? When I say I commit my ways to the Lord, it means, would you please test my heart, weigh my motive, analyze my calculation, evaluate my plan. It's not passive at all. In fact, a little analysis on what committing something through confidence means, it means that if I've committed something to the Lord, I will remove all barriers in the way of this plan. That's how I commit something to the Lord. If I'm running a business, I'll remove every barrier that prevents him from blessing it. I'll conduct myself ethically. I'll honour him with my first fruits. I'll employ wisely. I'll increase my leadership capability and eliminate every barrier because I have committed my ways to the Lord. It means the investing of every required resource. If I have to get up a little earlier, I need to do that. If I have to step in a little stronger, I'll do that. That's point number two production. I'm not sure if you've got it there. I'll invest whatever resources necessary to achieve what God has called me to do. It means by committing my ways to the Lord that I commit to ignore every gossip. I can't commit my way to the Lord and to everybody else's opinion. People are full of opinions. What they are not full of is plans. If people occupied their time more with their lives, they would be further ahead. But instead, bored by their own low level of operation, they would like to pull you to their company. When you say, I commit my way to the Lord, it means you discommit, if that's even a word, from everybody else. Not everybody, to quote that great philosopher, Steve Harvey, not everybody who came with you can go with you. Sometimes you simply have to say, I would love to, but I've committed my way to the Lord. I'd love to do that, but I've committed my business to God. Someday you might even say, I wouldn't really like to do that. I've committed to something else. Peter shifted from insecure to sure to committed. And out of commitment comes favour. And finally, it means the completing of your intentions. When I say I've committed my ways to the Lord, it means I'll have follow through. I don't stop. I keep showing up. I keep showing up on the good days and the bad days, on the sunny days and the wet days. I keep showing up. Because that's what people who've committed their ways to the Lord do. You show up. And when you do that, you have this distinct sense that God is in your midst. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit did something really remarkable on the day of Pentecost. Recently, I, a few days ago, I did a teaching on this with our staff. I want to just give you a little highlight, just one idea that I think is so important on this. The disciples were in the upper room in Acts chapter two. 
about 120 of them, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit came down. They had tongues of fire. They spoke in tongues. They were full of confidence, full of boldness. But they left the upper room and went downstairs to the rest of the world. And the rest of the world heard the gospel and thousands were added to the church. We, the church, need to learn the balance between upstairs and downstairs living. Some Christians are so upstairs bound that there are no good downstairs. Full of fire and tongues and turbulence and wind and stuff. And then, and then nothing. Go home. Come back next week, guest speaker. More, more, Lord, more, more, less, more. Stand, fall, receive, don't receive, pick up, go home. Some people are very good downstairs that it's almost like a humanitarian effort. It's almost like, it's almost like the Red Cross. A good heart, but no salvation in Jesus Christ. No call to bend the knee and accept Him as Lord and Saviour. Just good people doing good things. Those people need to go upstairs for a little bit and pick up on the faith that comes from the Holy Spirit. But some of the people upstairs need to go downstairs for a bit and put a blanket on a cold person and give an invitation to a lost soul and make a meal for somebody in desperate need. We've got to balance the upstairs revival with the downstairs reality. <laughs> Sitting around and talking about how things are going is really of no use at all. Sitting around and talking about what God has in mind for how things are going to turn out. Now that is faith. If commitment means the removing of barriers, the investing of every resource, the ignoring of the critics and the gossips, and the completing of the intention, then how powerful is Christ's final sentence? And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, He breathed His last. In that final statement, Jesus was saying through the word, I commit, I have removed every barrier. I have invested every resource of heaven. I have ignored every critic and I have completed my assignment and done your intentions. Commit. Commit isn't a big word anymore. It's not popular. We commit for a season, for now, maybe. Today, I pray that the words maybe will not be used when it comes to matters of faith. But instead, the word certainly. Surely he will deliver me. Surely God is on my side. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely, not maybe. Maybe is for the immature. Surely is for the spirit filled. Today, 
my prayer will be not only that you will have faith granted by Christ, but that you will have boldness granted by the Spirit and that you will recognise our need for boldness in order to apply ourselves to our faith. It's the ingredient we need to commit. And I pray that you will learn commitments of a beautiful product of a spirit-filled life. They're a, they're a product of a spirit-filled life. So, having said that, I look forward to teaching some more tonight if you feel like double dipping in the Port Elizabeth area. Could I invite all of us to stand for a prayer? I want to take a moment as we're praying. I'm going to do two kinds of prayers. So except for those who are going to prepare your coffee with the rest of you, just give us that extra minute. Um, I'm going to pray two kinds of prayers. The first is that God will fill us with his spirit and give us boldness. The second is if you've not made a commitment to Christ, that you will today. But before I pray, I just want to acknowledge the incredible work that God is doing in our churches here and everywhere in the forming of small groups or communities. In the last three weeks, something like 12 or 13 groups, uh, um, grow groups in the life of churches here and in other churches have started. And another handful are starting in the weeks to come. It's been a long held dream that we'll be able to make big church smaller. And I think we're finally opening that door. And I think it's the start of a great awakening. I'd like to encourage you to find your tribe and don't do life in queues. Do it in a circle. And so Lord, thank you today that you have reminded us that the church did not start out in weakness or insecurity. It started out with weak and insecure people being filled by the Holy Spirit and made bold to conviction and commitment. Teach us, Lord, not to be weak-willed people, but instead to not only have faith, but to have a confidence and a conviction in our faith. Holy Spirit, you're invited into our hearts, into our homes, into this house, our houses of worship. And you're invited into our hearts to transform our insecurities and to make us mighty in battle and mighty in faith. Would you help us recognize that this is something we need to refuel on again and again? And if we've lost hope or lost confidence, would you build it up again so that Peter, the insecure boy who acted like a, like a child, could become a mighty man with a conviction can say with confidence, Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. While we remain in this attitude, um, I can't possibly know where you're all at. There are so very many of us. But I do want the opportunity to remind you that if you've heard about Christ and even followed the teachings of Christ, 
and even enjoyed the encounters or experiences perhaps at Church of Christ, these things are all steps towards the starting line. It gets you to the starting line. But the line itself that you must cross over at some point in your life is the line that says, I believe Him when He says, I need Him. And I believe Him because I can't save myself. I am in need of being awakened spiritually and it is not in my power to do that. It is only in God's hands. And then at that moment, you you say, Lord, Jesus, take charge. And then you cross the line. And I'd like to pray with you if that's where you're at. And if if that's where you're at, uh, with everyone's eyes closed, and I mean online, stay with me on this. Churches, uh, please follow the action if you would like. But if you'd like that prayer, or you are going to pray that prayer with me this morning, just stick your hand up and say, I'm gonna pray that prayer this morning. I I need to make a have a conviction and a commitment today. And I just need you to raise your hand long enough for me to see it and you can put it down. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over there and there, all over. I see see you guys at the back there. and I saw a bunch of hands coming up over there. Thank you. We're going to pray this prayer that's up on the screen and it'll stay on our broadcast so you can pray it later too. If you pray this online, please stick on the comments. I prayed this prayer and we'll even give you a link on resources, free resources that you could read up so that it could follow you on your journey. But let's pray this prayer. I'll just do it and you can pray it in your heart. Uh, It's otherwise awkward to pray, but we'll pray it in your heart and, and let us know if you prayed it. Dear Jesus, You said in the Bible that whoever hears your words and believes God sent you to set me free from my debt of sin, has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. I confess that I believe you and receive salvation from my sins and new life in my soul. I now cross over from death to life. Amen. Would you give God a shout of praise and worship and thanksgiving?